the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When we suffer trials of many kinds, it is for a purpose. Even though we may not consider it at the moment, those trials are designed to do something far greater in our lives than we could imagine. Let's talk about that next. Join us. Suffering. Man, we hate it. There's oftentimes pain involved with suffering, and that's never fun. But you see, in God's providence, as we've discussed here on Abounding Grace, and in God's good love towards us, he allows that suffering for a purpose. You see, as we're seeing, it's God's way of forming Christ in us, making us more and more like his son. That is a good thing. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace as we explore this truth together. We're in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. Here's Pastor Gary and today's Abounding Grace. God is not going to let someone else suffer for you. You're not going to learn discipleship vicariously. No one is going to walk through the fire for you. Jesus is not going to winnow someone else for you and then separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to do you, and there is no way to avoid it. And actually, we shouldn't want to avoid it. But still, how are you going to learn this? Let's go to Matthew 4. This passage has been on my mind for a while now. Except for Gethsemane and the cross itself, This is probably the lowest place in our Lord's life. You probably remember the scenario. At the end of Matthew 3, he's publicly inaugurated to be the Son of God, the mediator. Not made the Son of God, but declared by God to be his beloved Son. He has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God says, I've declared him to be my servant. He's going to accomplish salvation, so everybody listen to him. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness, where for 40 days he is fasting and is kind of like Moses on the mountaintop, living by communion with his Father. You and I, we can't fast for 40 days and live. We cannot live without water for 40 days. He did. Moses did. Then at his lowest point, the worm comes to him. That old dragon bringing his subtle craft. And he offers Jesus three temptations. They they are the same temptations that we will face. Some of them multiple times every day. The first was... Your father has forgotten you. I don't care what he said 40 days ago from the heaven. He has forgotten you. And you are going to have to supply your own bread, Jesus. He's not going to feed you. 
He's forsaken you. And if you really are the Son of God, take care of yourself. What's that? Don't trust your Father's wisdom, purposes, counsel, or provision. Don't trust Him. You can't trust Him. Beloved, that's just plain evil. Our Lord's response is from Deuteronomy. In fact, all three of His responses were from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He answered as the children of the Israelites should have answered in the wilderness, but did not. And he saved us by his response. Satan tries a second temptation. He says, well, okay then, are you really the son? Do you really believe you are the son? Then why has he left you like this? If you are the son of God, the world is moving on around you. Come on, do something dramatic to push it forward, just a little bit. Throw yourself off this temple pinnacle. And if you really are the Son of God, the angels will come and catch you, and then everyone will know that you are truly the Son of God. What was the temptation here? If you really are the Son of God, don't veil your sonship. Your Father has obviously abandoned you, so you're going to have to assert yourself. Go show yourself to the world. Push it forward a little bit. Very much like various crusade movements do in the church today. Come on, let's force the issue. Let's show everyone that we are right and they are wrong. Jesus basically looked at him and said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. My life and my sonship, it's revelation its glory and its realizations are on his timetable. You, O worm, not mine. So if he wants me to be here in the wilderness and he wants us to have a time in our life of obscurity where no one gives us any recognition and we're just plodding along and it seems like we have no purpose, we will trust the Lord because that is where he has put us so we don't need to rush ahead. The third temptation, the worst of all, particularly if you remember Gethsemane, because the cross itself, the Lord asked, if possible, could you let this pass from me? Now, of course, he knew it wasn't possible, but he is also speaking in our flesh, and he felt its horrors, and he saw the cup of judgment that he must drink for us. He knew that whatever Pilate said, whatever the Jews said, was all secondary to what he was going to do when he stood before the tribunal of the Holy One who inhabits eternity. And Yahweh himself would strike him down for the sake of the sheep. But is there another way? Satan comes and says, here's the way. Obviously, your father doesn't love you, Jesus. Obviously, he has left you here hungry. He's left you here in obscurity in the desert. Jesus is obviously here not clean. And he's also most likely weakened by this time. So what happens at the end of the temptation? Angels have to come and minister to him. He is so low physically at the end of this. And mentally and emotionally, it seems he's going to die. 
He is going to die then and there for our sufferings. So angels have to come and basically revive him. And Satan says, you don't have to go through the cross. Jesus, you don't have to suffer. God is just a big old meanie. There are easier ways to go about this, Jesus, than to suffer, than to deny yourself, than to lay down your life at the cross. All you've got to do is make a deal with me. After all, I already own the kingdoms of the world. So he says, of course, a lie. But he says, they're mine, and I'll give them to you. All you have to do, no one's looking. It's just the two of us. No one's looking. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Weakened, probably near fainting, Jesus says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you worship. Our Lord Jesus saved us at the cross, but he saved us in Gethsemane too. And he also showed us how we are to respond when these temptations come our way. Because come our way, my friends, they will. Have you ever asked, does my father really love me? Does he love my children? Does he really love the people who are involved in these situations? If so, how can he let this happen to them? I know some of you face these questions. How could this be? How could this wickedness prevail like this in this situation? Father, you must not love me. And if we really were your children, why doesn't the world recognize it? I mean, if we're your prized possession and we are one day going to judge angels, have you ever thought about heaven and your own future and hearing and singing the words of Jesus? Well done, my good and faithful servant. If you are like me, those words just seem surreal. How can it be that I, me, am really going to hear this someday? That I'm going to see these things. That I'm going to participate in these glories. It just seems so far away. And the church, weak, distracted, worldly, it's like the second temptation. There's got to be something else. We need some slogans, some t-shirts, some website, something that will let everyone know that we are special, that we've got something going on. Then, of course, the third temptation. It's not exactly the same for us as it was for Jesus, but it is no less real. Lord, can I go to heaven some other way than having to deny Myself. Some of you may be struggling with this right now. I really, really want to hang on to this one thing in my life. I absolutely can't give this up. Lord, I'll give you anything. Just do not ask this of me. I don't want to let this go. I want to hold on to it. I want to nurture it. I won't even make it the biggest thing. I'll just kind of keep it in my pocket so I can bring it out from time to time and just stroke it. Or indulge in it just a a little bit. Just something. Anything without having to take the cross of self-denial upon my back. We are tempted in exactly the same way as Jesus. And it's not surprising. 
because he is the head and we are his body. So we're going to face these exact things. So how are we going to prevail? Are you ready? This is really, really a dynamic new way for you to begin this next week. Get ready for a new slogan to put on the back of your window, the window of your car. Are you ready? How did Jesus meet every single one of these temptations? Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. That was his food. He had taken the Word into his innermost being as more necessary to him than his daily bread. So if we are going to be like our Savior, if we are going to bear his image... We must also make God's word our food. I can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. If you're going to be like Jesus, remember the chain in Romans 8. Therefore, you can have confidence that you are foreknown of God, foreloved by God, chosen of God, and that all things are working together for good in your life. If you're going to have that confidence, that unassailable, nothing evil can happen to me because even the hard, bitter things that can happen to me, God is going to bring good out of them. And then you're going to have to have the other side of it too, which is to submit to the suffering that God brings into your life because they make us like Jesus. And there's only one way for us to be made like Jesus, and that is we must meditate on God's promises and his word and trust his faithfulness and delight in his word and hold fast to it because God's promises, they are our only food. God's word is the only shield, the shield of faith that beats back Satan's fiery missiles. It's not, well, I've got enough faith. No, the shield of faith is the shield that bases itself in God's holy word. That is what beats back Satan's fiery missiles. So, beloved, learn God's word over the rest of this year. Spend multitudes of time in it. Cling to God's promises. Make it your goal today, if you have not yet, to read through God's word before the end of this year. Eat all you can of God's word. Love it. Hold fast to it and meditate upon it. And then you talk about it. Be determined in this goal. Now back to Romans 8. There's one last consideration. Notice the last part of verse 29. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The reason God has called us according to his purpose. For knew us, for loved us. Determined the boundaries of our lives predestined us is so that we will be conformed into the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn. You see, God intends to reform us into our Savior's image so that he might be glorified, beautified, elevated, and exalted. And nothing glorifies the Lord Jesus more than when his people look like him in the world. Think about what a horrifying thing it would be for a beautiful head to be set on a deformed, mangled body. We wouldn't want that, would we? We wouldn't want the beautiful head of our Lord Jesus to set on a body, the church, 
that is ugly, deformed, and filthy. So since this should strike us with horror, what are we supposed to do? Walk as he walked. Be conformed to his image. Yield our lives to be transformed by whatever means of suffering God brings into our lives. Whatever pressures, whatever challenges, because this is the way the Father glorifies his Son. Now, the word firstborn is a title of honor. Turn to Psalm 89, 27 for one of its first appearances about Jesus in Scripture. And we're just going to look at this one verse because it captures so much. It is Psalm 89, 20 through 28. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him. Nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him. And strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea. And his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness, I will keep him forever. And my covenant shall be confirmed in him. These things were said very, very vaguely of David. But they were said ultimately of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.18, In all things he must have the preeminence. Isaiah 52.13 says, He will be exalted and extolled very high. All these things are behind Christ being the firstborn. Think of this. When you endure suffering, when you resist sin and temptation, you are a part of Christ's exaltation. He does not consider his exaltation complete until you are exalted in him. Think on that a minute. He is the head. We are the body. He is the only firstborn, but he's not the whole family. He's going to bring the whole family to be with him. He is going to be the firstborn among many brothers. So every time we resist sin, Every time as young people, you say, I'm going to do what my parents say, not what my friends say. I'm going to do what my husband says, not what I want to do. I'm going to do what the preacher says, if it is biblical, not what I want to do. Every time we yield, every time we endure suffering patiently, we are being beautified. And Jesus is being exalted more and more. And he's not going to be exalted alone, beloved. He will be exalted as part of a glorified and perfected body, his church. He is beautiful. He will make us beautiful. He is crowned and he will crown us in holiness. He counts us as brothers. He will have us to look like him so that we may be one with him, enjoy him, and be crowned with him forever. Here is a balm For the deepest wound. Here is incentive. To let go of our cherished idols. Here is hope that our hardships truly are working together for good. 
that the Lord Jesus considers himself to be the firstborn among many brothers and that our sufferings are conforming us into his image. And it is part of the process of him being exalted and of him exalting his church with him. Now, I can't think of anything more encouraging to close with. When the troubles of our life mount, then the promise of our Savior, that he counts us as his brothers or sisters, should encourage us greatly. He counts us that close to him. Remember what he said to Saul on the road to Damascus. He he didn't say, Saul, Saul, I'm about to zap you. You better repent quickly. No, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just like Jesus counts every cup of cold water in his name as it were done unto him, he counts all of our sufferings, the endurance, the struggles of his people that are endured faithfully as those being done unto him and being part of him as well. And when we do suffer, when we're on the sickbed, when we feel like giving up, When Satan comes to us and says, come on, being a son, being baptized, that's nothing. Wear the badge of worldly honor. Go the world's way. Go with your pornography. Go with your distractions so that you can't even live a moment of your life without having some technology in your hand. Go ahead and live that way. Do we have any Esau's in our midst? Selling their souls to fulfill their desires? Or are we all going to remember the Son of God died, rose again, reigns, and is exalted to exalt us with him? Not for himself alone, but so he can bring all of his brothers and sisters. He is my brother. Lord Jesus, you are not only my God, and I confess with Thomas, my Lord and my God, but you are my brother who loves me, who takes care of me. So please help me. Please strengthen me. If the godly under the old covenant had the promise in Isaiah 63, 9, that in all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. How much more is Jesus as our head afflicted in our afflictions? Now, this doesn't mean that he's up there in heaven. Oh, no. You know, biting his nails. At one level, it's the weird tension here that he cannot for a moment cease to be exalted and reigning over all things. And yet at the same time, by his spirit, he loves us and he sympathizes with us. We have to say he weeps with us. He is reigning to save us. He is praying for us. Wherever we are, whatever our experience, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, looks upon us as his own brothers and sisters. This should give us so much encouragement, beloved. He will never forsake us. Because he has vested in us. Our older brother is the highest. He is the firstborn. He is the prince of the king of the earth. Now I want to tell you something. I know it's difficult to believe it. Some days I have difficulty believing it too. There is nothing that happens on this entire planet. Not one finger is moved. Not one bill is signed in Washington, D.C. Not one bad person does bad things. Not one good person does good things. But what the king is not moving, reigning, and ruling. And this is a fact. He reigns at the right hand of the Father. 
So be encouraged to seek his strength, to love him, and remember to take courage against your sins and your temptations. Don't give in, my friends. Call on him for help. Because every time we give in, we spit in the face of our beloved brother. Every time we say, I'm going to bear the cross. I'm sick of this. I'm not going to bear the cross. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of being poor. Whatever it may be. I'm just tired of this. We're saying, Jesus, I don't care what you went through. I'm going to live life on my terms. History is not going where Hollywood and Washington wanted to. They have no clue what the real agenda is. History is going according to God's agenda. Jesus is going to be the highest forever. He's going to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and he will, not be, and he will be joined to him forever, glorified with him, we, and he will not be alone in his exaltation, because he will exalt us, formed in his image. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org. And if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org. Or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.